Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. This is a first for the Intentional Encourager podcast. The first time that I have had a set of brothers on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Way back in episode six, we had Jason Romano, our good buddy, host of the Sports Spectrum podcast. And now we've got a tremendous opportunity to have his brother, Pastor Chris Romano, joining me this morning on the Intentional Encourager podcast. There's going to be a lot of similarities no doubt because of, of, of those guys. <laughs> Jason gave me a little bit of insight, so I know how to, to, to ask his brother the right questions. But Pastor Chris Romano joins me on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Chris, how are you doing today, man? I'm wonderful, Brian. It's so good to be with you. And, and yes, um, you know, my brother and I are sort of uh, attached to the hip together. We're in this together. And uh, so I'm, I'm real grateful for him and the opportunity just to be with you and your audience today. You know, it, it, Chris, it's funny, and, and we were talking before we got started, how connection really flourishes and, and how people are just joined together in, in, in all different walks of life and, and things like that. I got to imagine as a pastor, and let's start here. You, it, it is a challenge being a pastor. I know my dad, my late father was a pastor the last three and a half years of his life. Talk to me about pastoring in a pandemic. How has that been for you pastoring during this time of COVID-19? Yeah, well, I think like, I mean, just setting aside pastoring, just for, for aside for a second, I think all of us as people have had to make adjustments. And those of us who are willing to, to make those adjustments to kind of get outside of our norms and those things that, you know, our routines and uh, our comforts, the things that we try to protect so much because we, we rely and trust upon them so much. Um, the ones who, who weren't willing to adjust that, I think, uh, really uh, experienced some, some tremendous hardships. Now, um, for me as a pastor, you know, I'll, I'll just give you some, some, uh, some inside info here, Brian. We weren't even live streaming. You know, we were podcasting um, our services, but we weren't even live streaming. So we had to we had to switch pretty quick um, once February and March came along. And obviously our, you know, our, our church services looked a lot different. Uh, people weren't coming. And so we had to find a way to reach people and connect with people. And um, so, you know, it was, it, was it was a huge adjustment in that regard. But just for me personally, you know, how do you, how do you now in a, in a virtual world how how do you make those connections how do you how do you make those 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 touches that are so important for people and that really kind of set us into a whole new way of doing church well and and again we faced a similar situation in in, in my home church here in in charleston west virginia chris we we had 32 people in our church of a little over 300 that that were directly impacted with covid 19 so for three weeks we didn't have any services at all we were yeah. we were totally locked down because we were trying to get folks well and we were trying to to do what we could be responsible citizens about you know yep. making sure that people were healthy and taken care of and things like that and i'll tell you this for sure i saw 
I was keeping in touch with my pastor on a daily basis because I felt like that was what the Lord would have me to do was check in on the pastor because a lot of times, let's go here for just a quick second. A lot of times the mm -hmm. pastor is so busy checking in and just to yeah. your point about touching other people, you get so busy checking in on other people that it's a lot of times you lose yourself in the work of God and you lose yourself in that part. Were there times during this pandemic that it, that it felt overwhelming for you or felt you kind of felt like, Hey, I need to kind of take a step back and take a breath for myself because of, of what I'm trying to deal with, with so many other people. Yeah. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, I think the whole, the whole, the whole year has been overwhelming. Um, and it's really caused, caused, it caused me, I, I mean, I can't speak for every, everybody, but I've, you know, I have a network of people that I talk to, bounce things off of, and we share our hearts and our perspectives. Um, so I kind of get a sense of this being something that's similar for a lot of people, but it was really for, for me a shift back into intimacy, um, a realigning, um, a reorienting of what is most important to God. And so I would exchange those feelings of overwhelming, um, anxiety, you know, fear even, and exchange those for the peace of God, the presence of God, um, that, again, we get so focused on meetings, right? I mean, you know, church has, has largely become in the last several decades about the meeting, and, we, and we're, we're, we're meeting to death, right? We have a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and we've been conditioned to experience God in those meetings, and so when those meetings weren't there, it was sort of a callback to, um, to intimacy, the secret place, and really begin to experience him you know, within the four walls of our own home and within the context of our own families. What did you learn most about leadership during this time? Because again, when, when people look to the pastor, whether you're churched mm -hmm. or not, whether you belong to a body of believers or not, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, a lot of times a pastor has to lead a lot of different dynamic personalities. It's not unlike leading a team in business. It's not unlike leading um, a sales team, if you will. What was the yeah. one thing through this that you learned about your leadership style or leadership that you go, man, I'd forgotten that I did that well, or I think I need to do this a little bit better. Yeah. Um, man, that's a great question. That's a really good question. I think I'm still, still discovering those things even now. Um, remember, you know, I live in New York, so we actually had no services for two months. Uh, we were shut down completely from the 14th of March to about the 14th of May. Um, so, you know, it, but in light of it all, you know, we've, we've seen the whole pandemic, um, you know, obviously combined with the fact that we had a, um, you know, a po uh, an election, you know, in the midst of it, and we had racial unrest, and we had all these things that were going on you know, sort of in the midst of it, and they were intertwined. I don't think anybody uh, who's, you know, really paying attention, you know, is, is ignorant to that. But for me as a leader, I recognize that people are so quick to submit to fear, um, and, and myself included at times. And so as a leader, it was my responsibility. And sometimes this was intentional, and sometimes it wasn't. It was just sort of a, re a response out of the reservoir of who God has made me to be. But it was important to, you know, bring the vision back into people's eyes and bring them back into people's hearts and, and to speak to fear and to, 
um, to confront the fear that was so paralyzing in people. And so as a leader, I recognize that now as we're coming out of the pandemic, uh, it's still important to, um, you know, to, to make sure that I'm out in front of, of people doing that um, so that people can begin to experience, you know, what God wants them, want what God wants for them. You know, I love what you said there because, and, and Chris, I, I'll go back to, I'm going to get carnal for just a second, if you don't mind. One of my favorite <laughs> movies is The Replacements. It's the it's the the movie with Keanu Reeves and Gene Hackman. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that movie. There's a scene early in the movie where Keanu Reeves's character Shane Falco. It's a big spot in the game, and you know basically comes to the sidelines and and the, they've got the play called, and they 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 call the play in, and it's designed for him to keep it, and he gives the ball up. He comes back to the sidelines. And Gene Hackman's character, Jimmy McGinty, says, great players want the ball. And so you fast forward into the scene later yeah. in the, at the end of the movie where they come to the sidelines, it's a huge spot in the game, and McGinty's Jimmy McGinty says, what's it going to be, Falco? And Keanu Reeves' character says, I want the ball. And he says, winners always yeah. do. And so yeah. that reminds me, you were talking about fear. The Bible mm -hmm. tells us that perfect love casts out all fear. That's right. You know, the, and so, you know, we, we, and, and the other scripture that comes to my mind is God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And so we know these, we know these, these principles and these principles are universal, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, because That's absolutely right. Yeah. You can't operate in fear. You cannot, you can't lead in fear. And it's amazing to me that what you said there, I, I want to just park here again for just a quick second about sure. people giving into fear mm -hmm. from a ministry standpoint. Was that one of the hardest things that you've had to do in ministry was to beat back that fear in people? And, and what did you, what did it tap into you as a minister and as a servant leader to say, if I'm going to overcome this or help my people overcome this, my congregation overcome this, I've got to do this differently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fear, I think, is the greatest hindrance to people walking in the simplicity of trust and devotion to God. It really Man, say is. That, it, say, that, say that again, please, if you don't <laughs> mind. That, that is so good. Please, please yeah. say that again. Yeah, I'll try. Um, but I believe that fear is the greatest hindrance the people walking in the simplicity of trust, childlike trust, I think I would add, and, and, and devotion to God. Because fear keeps people from exercising faith. You know, and, and you could talk about this in a lot of different ways. Um, and I love how you said it's universal because this isn't, you know, this isn't just a Christian um, reality. This is a people reality. Uh, people who are bound by fear will be, bound by hesitation. They won't take risks. They won't, they won't adventure into the unknown. And um, so, you know, when it comes to th those of us who are believers, I mean, you quoted two scriptures, but you could have quoted a hundred scriptures because God is always speaking to, 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 to the fear that keeps people from entering into agreement with his purposes. Uh, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Um, you go down the line of, of, of every single great man or woman of God and it came back to the option that each one of us have. Are we going to live by faith or are we going to live by fear? And that was really, I think, at the forefront 
of what we face as as pastors, as leaders uh, in the pandemic, um, is you know really reorienting people to the fact that you can trust God even in something that we've never experienced before, even something that just seems so you know overwhelming. Um, we can trust God, and God's going to have the final say, and He has, and He will. Take me through. You you were talking a minute ago about being meeting oriented and 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 yeah. having and having to now bring it for a period of time because you talked about two months bringing that back into your home when you think about being at home with your wife and your and your your five kids what yeah. were you doing internally to to help them get through it and lead them because you've got young adults like I like I do you've got a a 21 year old, a 19, a 17, a 15, and then a baby, which, and we'll, we'll talk about the baby story here in a little bit, but you've got <laughs> young adults and teenagers yeah. with you and your wife and everybody handles crisis and chaos and turmoil and upheaval differently. What, what if you don't mind mm -hmm. me asking, what was, what were you doing in your home to help kind of stabilize your family through that? Yeah, one of the things that we talked about before the pandemic hit, as, as 2020 started, was that we wanted to develop a culture of consecration. And that was within our home. That wasn't like a corporate, like churchy type, um, you know, thing over, over, over our congregation. It was our home. It was my wife. It was me. It was our marriage. And it was our five children. We were going to build and establish a culture of consecration, which meant a... Um, a emphasis on the secret place. And lo and behold, again, this was before the pandemic hit, um, but I was challenging all of my children um, and, and, and really encouraging my wife that we were going to, we weren't gonna, we weren't gonna experience God more on Sunday morning or Friday night or Wednesday night than we were gonna experience him in our home. In fact, we were gonna see more miracles and, 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 and the wonders and the signs of God in our own home. Um, more than we we're going to see them in the church. And so that was what we were set up for. And then the pandemic hit. And of course, you know, one of the biggest adjustments that beyond not going Sunday morning was, you know, our kids weren't going to school. Um, you know, my, my, so I have a, a son. It's actually pretty symmetrical, Brian. We go son, daughter, son, daughter, and then we adopted a baby girl. So she kind of broke the order of things. But um, <laughs> yeah, so my daughter, my oldest daughter was graduating high school. So she was a senior. So she had her senior year pretty much taken away. Um, and then my young, my youngest son, who was, who was a sophomore at the time, um, you know, he's a, he plays three sports. He's a three-sport athlete. Uh, he had his football season, but he had basketball um, shortened and then he had baseball taken away. Um, you know, and so we had all these things going on. So it was really about trying to, help them to navigate through all of the chaos um, and then bring them and then bring them back to that, that reality of God is so jealous for our attention. I don't yeah. know what's going to happen on the outside, but we, we can control what's going to happen on the inside. We can control what happens in this house. And so that's what really we set out to do. I got to ask you this before we take a quick break. I want to go here for just mm -hmm. a second. And I, I mentioned your brother off the top of your brother, Jason, but you also have another brother, Damien, and I, I've not gotten to meet Damien. I want to, were, how were you guys staying connected, you three brothers? You guys have grown up close. Jason wrote a lot about it in his book, and we're going to talk about that uh, here in a little bit. 
how were you staying connected with your brothers? Because you guys get together as often as you can, living in different parts of the country. How important was it to stay yeah. connected for you with your brothers? And how did you guys pull that off? Um, Facebook Live. <laughs> Zoom we calls a, we, like we actually, we're like we're doing Zoom recordings like we're doing now, huh? Yeah, and, and actually, I mean, we, we talk a lot. Um, and Jay and I talk at least once a week, you know. Um, we're always texting each other. So that that wasn't really disruptive. But we actually did, Brian. We we did a monthly Facebook Live where the three of us would come on and we just talked about you know, one of the great affections that we all have, and that's sports. And we just rambled, uh, the three of us. And we had a great time doing it. Lots of people, you know, um, from all of our spheres of influence sort of came on, and we had a great time. But, yeah, that's, I mean, like like any of us, that's sort of how we, we remain connected. Step aside, and we'll take a break and be back in just a moment here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now, what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you as a business owner can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. Chris, you were talking a minute ago about sports and 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 if you're watching on youtube i've got an espn pullover on it's the same one i wore when jason was on and so i i'm a, a long time sports guy Let, let's talk a little sports here for just a few minutes because again i i think we were all really just kind of navigating and feeling our way back you're in upstate new york i'm i'm in western southwestern west virginia you mentioned your son being a three-sport athlete What's this What's this year been like for him getting to play football? We're just now getting back to playing basketball here. I do PA for my son's Christian school that he graduated from. So we, we've only played three games as we record this podcast. What was sports like being a big part of your home with your son playing sports, you being a passionate sports fan like you were? What were those few months like for you guys not having that ability to connect through through the power of sports? You know, in, in one sense, it was like, and I don't, I mean, I assume a lot of people who listen to you and watch you, you know, are also sports fans. Probably not all of them, but I'm assuming a large majority of them because you can feel your passion for sports when you listen to your podcast. Um, so this might not sound you know, relevant for everybody, but for us, it was literally like the loss of a, of a loved one, um, <laughs> not having sports. I really, you know, something so I, devastating. you know, something I, and I mean to interrupt you there. I can, yeah. I, I have been for the last 
goodness, I would say probably at least 20 years. I would have Reds opening day circled on the calendar because I'm a Reds fan. Um, and, okay. and I would have that day circled on the calendar. So I would be somewhere where I could work, you know, to get the biggest part of my day done. And, and, and now they keep bumping the opening day time back. So it used to be one, you know, they used to start at one fifteen, then they bumped it back to two fifteen. Yeah. And now, you know, the last few years they've, they've started at four fifteen. I'm like, this is great because I can get my work done or what I have to finish up. I can finish up on the computer in front of the TV. Last year was so weird because, you know, in Cincinnati, which I'm three hours east of Cincinnati, opening day is a, a holiday. I mean, the city of Cincinnati shuts down for opening day and uh, yeah. not having that. And, of course, now we're coming up as we record this on March Madness um, on the NCAA tournament. We didn't have that last year. The NBA Finals were pushed back. Uh, Major League Baseball played a 60-game season in 2020. So, yeah, what you're saying is it, it was like the loss of a loved one. It's like Reds aren't playing today. You know, what's, what's going on with that? So, yeah, but, but how did, how did New Yorkers handle that? Because you live in a state yeah. that is, and, and you, and you, you, you really helped me geographically here. You guys are kind of in the middle between the New York area sports teams. And of course, to the North of you, the Buffalo area sports team. So you're kind of in that melting pot there. And, and I know you to be a Philadelphia Eagles fan, which you got to tell me how that happens living in upstate New York, but, and your brother, a Dallas Cowboys fan. So, you know, but, but how did New York? Oh Yorkers man, don't do go that? there. Don't go there, Brian. I know that. And listen, there are more yeah. Dallas Cowboys fans than I know. <laughs> Try being a Cincinnati Bengals fan all your life, you know, and, and, and oh, the Cowboys man. are playing the Bengals in 2020. And I get texts going, Man, we feel sorry for you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But take me through how yeah. New Yorkers that it, you you live in such a sports crazy state. How are people around you and your friends? Yeah, your influence. How are they dealing without having sports? Yeah, it was devastating. I mean, really, I used that metaphor earlier, but it was devastating. Um, you know, being without sports for I mean, so long. You know, and and it really is just kind of coming around my son lost you know his spring sports in his sophomore year and then he lost his 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 which is his first love football my son's first love is football he lost his you know junior senior season this fall and then basketball again in the winter we we, we, we weren't playing we actually just started basketball two weeks ago um and it's an abbreviated season before he starts spring football, which they, uh, you know, so he's still going to have his junior year for football, but they actually moved it to. So to, how um, was he keeping in shape? Because there's different, there's different shape that you yeah. get yourself into for football. Yep. It's, it's more weight training and things like that. Basketball obviously yeah. is more cardio. How is your son keeping in shape to do both? Because it was really, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, wasn't it really a, a kind of a, well, we'll wait and see. We're we're looking to this date, at least to the way it was here in West Virginia. We're we're pushing to this date, and then the governor comes out and goes, "Well, we're gonna have to push it back a little bit." Right. How was your right. son dealing with that stop-start mentality around when he was going to get to play sports? Yeah, it was hard. It, it was hard. And again, I, I really, I really kept emphasizing to him uh, and my son. You know, I'm so proud of him. He's anchored in his faith and. So that was really what kept him um, from going out of his mind. 
And yet, even within the midst of that, there there's still days and even weeks sometimes where, again, I mean, he's he is so committed um, to sports. Our whole family is. And um, so I'm going to just kind of go back to uh, the question you asked previously about New Yorkers, particularly because we were without sports uh, for, I don't know, three months or so. You know, I think basket, basketball and baseball came back late in the summer. Um, but uh, it was one of those things where it, it just was so surreal. It was so strange. You know, we, we, the routine of people like us who are so used to, you know, if we're, not, if we're not at a game or if we're not preparing for a game or going to see one of our children, we're watching games. And you couldn't do that. We found ourselves going to, back to YouTube just to watch old games, uh, j just to sort of, you know, um, feed what was lacking. Uh, and then thankfully ESPN came out with the, the series on Jordan, the Bulls, uh, the last. That was incredible. Dance. We that like, was incredible. Hallelujah. hallelujah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, it, it was. It was. Well, yeah. and, and I'll tell you this. It was a great bonding experience for myself and my basketball crazy 20-year-old because he would rather watch an NBA game yeah. than he would watch an I'm, – I'm more of an NFL guy. I, I watch football, and, okay. and he's more, baske, he's more, more basketball. Yeah, he's more basketball-oriented. But, but for me to be able to tell him, hey, this was what it was like to be a Bulls fan in the 90s. This was what it was like to be an NBA fan. Yeah. And, and, Chris, I'll tell you yeah. this. Here's the biggest difference that I saw, and I wanted to tell you, and I told him this. I said, Bryce, the biggest difference is, do you see how many seven-footers are on the court? <laughs> right. There's actually playing in the post. <laughs> actually playing in the post, yeah. He said, yeah. Well, well, where's your seven-footer going out to shoot? And I'm like, well, really the only guy that did that was a guy like Bill Lane Beer for the Pistons. Yeah. And then when the Bulls got Tony Kukoc, he was 6'11", shooting from the wing. But beyond that, you were... Well, he was a European. Exactly. Exactly. It, it, great right? point. So great that point. brought a whole different element. Yeah, yeah. Great it point. Brought a whole different element. Well, and, and, yeah. and ESPN capitalized on the fact that they weren't going to release that thing until right around the NBA Finals. And, and, they, and they saw that, that dearth of... Which, I, I'll tell you this. To me, I wish that that ESPN would have said we are ramping up production on thirty for thirties because they could have done thirty for thirties every night, and I would have been locked in. I would have, totally, you know, totally. Yeah. Well, my favorite we thirty were, for thirty yeah. was was Rand University because Randy Moss played at my alma mater, Marshall University. So I mean, it's you oh, know, you're a Marshall. You're a Marshall. I, alum, I am huh? a Marshall alum. That's yeah, hundred percent, man. Chad, Chad, Chad Pennington. Yeah, Chad Pennington is a a son of Marshall. In fact, his son Cole is gonna is uh is coming to Marshall here in a couple of years. So that okay. that that tradition is and and he was he was talked about. We just had a head coaching opening um a couple of months ago, and Chad Pennington was talked about filling that opening. Of course, Byron Leftwich uh, was right. the offensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay yeah, Buccaneers, Marshall Bucks, quarterback. Yeah. So yeah, it, it was a fun stretch of about ten or eleven years watching these all these great pros come through Little Huntington, West Virginia. But I got to ask you this real quick before we get into yeah. your story: How do you grow sure. up in the house that you grow up in? Because most families are pretty united about the teams that they root for. 
how diverse yeah. how did the diversity end up in the Romano household growing up with with you and your two brothers just uh being so diverse in the teams that you root for and follow i mean it there had to be rivalries all, your poor mother man she just had to just must have been just oh, a constant peacemaker yes. she she and she still is yeah and 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 our wives are too but you know, it's one of those things, Brian, when I look back at my childhood and Jay and I, Jay and I particularly always talk about this. We wish we, we were fans of the same teams, um, but it really does stem from our story uh, with our father and a lot of the dysfunction that came there. I can only speak for me when I now we I mean, we come out of the womb you know, loving sports because that's my dad. That's my grandfather. That's just our uncles. I mean, everything. But I had such a strained relationship with my dad that I actually, as a, as a young child, Brian, chose the rivals of his teams. So he was a giant, he's a giant fan. I chose to be an Eagles fan. He's a Celtics fan. I chose to be a Lakers fan. He's a Card St. Louis Cardinals fan. I chose to be a Pittsburgh Pirate fan on purpose. Yes just to sort of retaliate against them. And for me, I'm a loyalist. So like when the Pirates went through that 20-year stretch of losing seasons, like I don't, I don't change teams. I'm loyal to, you know, the front of the jersey. I'm not loyal to the back of the jersey. And so I'm a diehard Eagles, Lakers, and Pirates fan, mostly because of, um, you know, my struggle with my dad. I, I'm wondering though how you became a Pittsburgh. I, I know because they're in the same they were they back in the 80s, they were in the same division. Right. But man, oh man, the Mets were a way better team back then. I, mean, I know. I, I'm a Reds fan because I came out of the womb and my dad was like two months old. He's like, You're watching Reds games with me. And so I that was I grew up being a Reds fan even to this day. Uh but man, uh yeah, the Pirates are so yeah, go ahead. I got, a, go, I, got a, go ahead. I got a quick story. So um, if you remember in the early 80s, uh, now the Pirates had a great run in the 70s, you know, at, at two titles, you know, um, Clemente on the front end, Stargell, and we are family on the, on the, on the, on the back end of the 70s. And then the early 80s, they, they, were, they were bad. Yeah. But Chuck, Tan Chuck Tanner, who was, who was the manager, um, he was sort of the, 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 the constant sort of uh, – you know, steady Eddie kind of guy. And, and so I don't know, I was drawn to guys like Bill Madlock, who's a third baseman. Um, and I'm, I'm talking, I'm young. I'm probably, I'm, I'm like seven, eight years old. And then it really kind of like, you know, just changed for, for, for me. And then for us as fans dramatically, Barry Bonds came in, in the mid eighties. Um, and then they had a great run in the late, in the late eighties, early nineties, the Bonds, Bonilla, Andy Van Slyke. I mean, that, that, was a tremendous run. Unfortunately, it didn't end in a, in a championship. But, yeah, I think it goes back to the Bill Madlock um, yeah. influence. I played third base in Little League. I wore the number five. You wore number five. I think I'd have to go back to that, Brian. I am such a baseball nerd. Of course, the Pirates in 79 took out my Reds in, in the NLCS. Yeah. I am such yeah. a baseball nerd. I remember the, the lineup for the 79 Pirates. Wow. I am such a baseball well, you're nerd. Than me on that one. <laughs> well, you you had you had the platoon, you had Lee Lacey in left and then you had John you had you had uh, you had uh, Lee Lacey and then you had Mike Eastler played left field. You had Omar Marino yep. played center. 
Dave Parker played right. Yep. Stargell played first. Yep. Um, I'm blanking on this. Yep. Tim, Tim Foley, Phil Garner played second. Tim Foley played short. Played short, yeah. Bill Madlock played third. Ed yep. Ott. Ed Ott. Ott. And wow. then his backup was a guy named Steve Nicosia. You remember Steve Nicosia? Backup catcher? Vaguely, man. I mean, I, I, I was born in 76, so that's, yeah. that's, that's a challenge. Yeah, and yeah. Then so, the, so their starting rotation, obviously they had the great John Candelaria. They had um, yep. Rick Roden. Candyman. Candy, yeah, Rod, Rick Roden pitched for them. They had a guy that pitched. He was a starter and a reliever. That's from about 25 minutes from here, a guy named Don Robinson. Great athlete from this yeah. area, Don yeah. Robinson. He great hitter. I mean, the Pirates wow. used him a lot to pinch hit back in the 70s and early 80s. But Don Robinson, they had Kent, Kent to Colvey. Was, was to Kent to Colvey. Yeah. I guess he was that he was part of that, that championship team, right? Yeah, yeah, he was the closer on that team. Yeah. And um, yeah. you know, the the old pillbox, the pillbox hats that they wore, the black oh, and the gold yeah. and the I have one. Top. I have one. Oh yeah, my man, one. that is yeah. Yeah. I, I, I wish, I, wish to, I could dig it up. Yeah. I wanted to go back and get what, and they've done the throwback hat. So the pirates have worn the pillbox, you know, as throwbacks, yeah. but yeah, man, what, what a great, and again, you think about those times. And for me, I don't know if you've gotten to meet any of the broadcasters or anything like that, but, it, but just as big a thrill for me growing up as a Reds fan was meeting Marty Brenneman and Joe Nux, all the guy that called game, the guys that called games. And of course in Pittsburgh, wow. that was Steve Blass who called Pirates Blast. For, just retired. Yeah, just forever. Retired. Yeah, and so yeah. Uh, and PNC Park is beautiful. If you have not been to a oh. game at PNC Park, you've got to yeah. go to a game at PNC Park. Let's step aside, take a break. I want to get into your story with the remaining time that we have and, uh, and really dive into that. You're listening to the Intentional Encourager podcast. We'll be back in a minute. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton. want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People, 10 Powerful People Lessons from the Ultimate People Person, my dad. My dad was one of the greatest connectors that I ever knew, and he shared with me 10 connecting principles that I have used throughout my 25-year sales and sales management, customer engagement, and leadership career that I'm passing along to you. If you want to be a stronger deeper and more powerful connector you've got to pick up a copy of people buy from people there are concepts in there that you may not realize help make you a power connector you can go to amazon and pick it up kindle if you're an e-reader and you like to do it that way or now available on audible and there's one other way you can get a copy of people buy from people you can get one from me and i'll sign it for you you go to intentional media and publishing at gmail.com and send me an email and I'll share with you the link on how you can get a signed copy. You can buy a signed copy directly from me. Again, people buy from people. If you want to connect like never before, pick up your copy today of people buy from people. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Chris. Again, I had your brother Jason on. I've, I've alluded to that a couple of times in the podcast. And we we told the story of, of you and your family. And Jason wrote his book, Live to Forgive. Powerful book. Please go get that. If you're listening to this podcast, go get that book. 
It's going to help you. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. Forward by Daryl strawberry. That's, that's big time. That's big time right there. <laughs> that is. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I, I would, I would be remiss if I didn't get your side of the story because Jason talks about, first of all, let me ask, let me start here and going and going there. When Jason comes to you and your family with the idea of writing the book, mm -hmm. take me through your initial thoughts on, on what he was proposing and, and what he wanted to do in telling your story. I was concerned about my dad um, more than anything else. And, you know, Jay, you know, Jay and I have, have traveled together and, and actually given some, uh, some workshops together on, on this subject. So I've heard Jay say this a lot that um, he went to my dad and basically said, look, you're going to be the, the villain in most of this book. And, you know, gracefully, my dad accepted that, you know, that responsibility. And um, so thankfully, you know, he consented and the book was written. But for me, I was concerned about that. Um, at that point in, in our journey, uh, I had been reconciled to my dad. Um, my children had been reconciled to their grandfather. And, you know, I have a tremendous relationship with my dad at, at this point. And so I was sort of protective when it, when it came to that. But you know, at the end of the day, Jay shared his heart with all of us. I knew that it, at the end of the day, it needed to be written. It needed to be heard, uh, regardless of how, you know, wide and um, actually actually went. It was important for our story to be told because, you know, our story is, is so similar to many people's stories. And if, if it could help, you know, just a, a couple people then it would have been worth it. And so that, that was really where I landed at the end of the day. Was it hard for you to separate pastor Chris from the, the, the personal side of that? Because again, let me, let me, let me wrap that around this, this thought. There are, there are things, especially when people enter the ministry that they say, listen, I, I would really rather keep that part of my life separate and sheltered. That happened a long time ago. I've reconciled with my dad, but I'd really rather just keep that, that separate and, and keep that away from everything. Was it hard for you to reconcile the two worlds or did you, did you think to yourself, there's a way that I can use this to really, really help people even better, deeper, further, and stronger. Yeah, there wasn't really a tension with that, Brian. I'll tell you why. Um, I think Jason's probably shared this with you, but I actually was the first in our family uh, to come to know Jesus. And so one of the great, and it might go down, you know, depending on how long the Lord allows me to, to live, it might go down as my most important moment of my life um, after the, you know, the big ones, you know, accepting Christ, marrying my wife, all that, but was actually leading Jay to Christ um, because of his influence and because of where God is taking him. I always, I always look at that as such a critical moment uh, in my life. Um, but when I got, when I got saved, it was early on, Brian, it was early on that I encountered the fatherhood of God. Um, I had a father wound so deep that I didn't even recognize it. Uh, my whole identity was in was was entrenched in that father wound. I was searching for an identity that I could acquire, that I could achieve, rather than an identity that was unconditionally received. And it really stemmed from the lack of a relationship with my dad. Well, amongst 
all of the revelations that God gave me uh, when he revealed himself to me, early on it was that he was a father. And when I began to see him as a father, when I began to understand his unconditional love and acceptance, it, was a, it wasn't a long process um, for me then to have mercy on my dad, uh, have genuine love for my dad. Um, and so it was full disclosure. I mean, really from early on in my walk, particularly in my, in my 10 years of pastor, it's been full disclosure. And, um, you know, a lot of that has been helpful for people who've also experienced dysfunction within their most intimate relationships. How old were you when, when you first realized the problems that your dad had? Because, um, I, I, and, 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 and help me through this, if you don't mind, I think Jason's the oldest and then it's you and then it's your brother, Damien. And so, yes, that's you know, right. and, and so how old were you when your dad's alcoholism, you first remember seeing it and how old were you when your parents divorced? Kind of take me through that, that timeline from your okay. own perspective, if you don't mind. Yeah. So my parents divorced when I was three. Um, I don't have any memory of my parents being together uh, at all. Um, I think the first real memory that I have of how my dad's drinking was destructive was playing Little League Baseball. And, and he would show up at a game and he would be so obnoxious, um, you know, and he, he, would be, he would be so um, just out of control. And, um, and that was, I mean, I'm, I, you know, we started playing baseball, we were five and six years old. So I would probably say those are what sticks out in my mind. Um, you know, it, most of my relationships with my dad, most of my relationship with my dad has an attachment to sporting events. He showed up most of my football games, which I was, you know, I was, an, uh, you know, all conference quarterback. Um, and so he would come to my, my, my football games and he would just, he would just cause a scene. Basketball, same type thing. So um, it was early on, Brian. I mean, I don't really have too many memories of him from my childhood when he was sober, that's for sure. Did you and your brothers try to protect yourselves? Take me through the role that your older brother played in, in kind of protecting you because I, I can sense, and, and I'm the oldest of three, there have been times that I've had to be protective of my, of my two sisters and be that protector, especially after my dad died, I kind of felt like I had to be that protector to some degree. How was, was, was Jason that for you protecting you in a lot of ways? What did that do to your bond as brothers early on? Because you, there is, there's what a couple years between you guys. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and, and so how, how important was having that, that brotherly bond early in your life when, when there was no father present and that male influence in your life? So that's a powerful, a powerful point and a, and a powerful class. But I just that the the bedrock of our of, of our family was my mother, and it was my grandfather and, and my grandmother, my my paternal grand grandparents. So it was my father's parents. They were literally the glue that held us together. Uh, without them, my mother made tremendous sacrifices. Um, without them, we, we would not have made it. There's there's no question in my mind. But the bonds that we formed together and still remain to this day, my brothers and I, although Jay lives in Connecticut, Damien's in Florida, I'm in New York, we are as close as ever. Um, and we were sort of forced into that because 
you know, we all were experiencing the same trauma. We all were experiencing the same emotional um, and verbal abuse. We were all going through it together. We didn't know we were too young and too immature to how, to, how do we handle, how do we respond to this? And so we clung to each other. And, you know, did Jay protect us? I, honestly, I don't know how Jay would, would, would say it this way, but um, Jay's always been amazing. He's, he's so, been so faithful uh, to us. Um, I kind of played the role though, as the, he always calls me the, the older, younger brother. I kind of always stepped out and played that role amongst the brothers of, of being the father figure almost, Brian. Um, and so that was a role I, I, I just naturally assumed. It was sort of like on the playground growing up, I naturally assumed being the captain, naturally assuming the leader. I didn't, I didn't try. It was just, it was just within me to do. And I did that within our, our, you know, our, our, our family structure as well. Do you think that, that you're what you did in sports and, 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 and the success that you had in sports, you mentioned being an all conference quarterback. Do you think that helped you at home kind of be that assertive figure at home? Because a lot of guys, and, and I'll say this, a lot of people that have that assertive take charge leadership quality that you have to have to be successful in that in that position whether you're playing whatever level mm -hmm. you're playing at high school college professional it, it, you've got to be that take charge guy and some people find that hard to turn on and off you know they say well i'm you know i'm, I'm this way and then yeah did you find that that helped you when you got home to say okay let me step in here let me take some pressure off my older brother let me take some pressure off my mom let me just kind of step in there was it natural for you to just when you got home to continue doing that I think so. You know, I, I didn't really analyze it too much when I was going through it. But as I reflect back on it now, I'm sure, you know, the football field particularly, but, you know, the baseball diamond and the basketball court as well, they were my sanctuary. You know, I dealt with all of the dysfunction in my home um, on the field. And so, you know, even when we weren't there, I was working out, we were out playing. Uh, we, were, we were just so it filled the void, Brian. And so, yeah, probably naturally, that's just kind of what I did. It's kind of still what I do. Um, you know, I don't apologize who I am, but I certainly don't take any credit for who I am. God, you know, he knit me together before I was in, in my mother's womb. So, I mean, he, he, he knew me, he formed me, this is the way he made me. But yeah, that's probably a good way of, of, uh, of framing, you know, my role growing up in the midst of all that. We're, we're probably going to go a little longer here because I, I think there's an important part, and, and Chris alluded to it just a minute ago, there's an important part of his story that you need to hear, and that's the influence of his grandfather, George Romano. They called him Pa, if yeah. I remember from the book correctly. They called him Pa. And you talked about your grandparents holding you together. What was the greatest lesson that you learned from your grandfather? Oh, man. Um, he had this one line, and he was not a man of many words, but he had this one line that he shared with me. It was sort of at the end of his life, but I really believe that it defined him throughout the whole time I knew him. He said, what, he said that to be mature is to be basic. And he was not a, he was not a um, extravagant personality. But when I look back at him, he was so loyal, faithful, dependable. Um, I could call him at any moment of any day. He would have been, he would have rescued me. He would have came uh, to my assistance. 
Uh, he was a calming, soothing, um, gentle voice for me. Um, you know, I, you don't know what you got till it's gone, right? That's what they say. Right. And, and I'm telling you, when he wasn't there, it was so, it was so debilitating for me. It was, he, I mean, it stripped me really at my core for 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 a time um, because he was just he just was there, Brian. He was so faithful, and that's really the, when I take away, and that's what I've tried to do for my children is is to be. A, a similar presence, a faithful presence. Was your granddad alive when you had kids? Yeah, thankfully. Um, all the, my original four, because we, we, we adopted a baby a couple of years ago, but my original four, uh, he was alive for all four of them. So he got to see them all be born. How is that for you with the influence of your grandfather? Because we have a similar situation. My wife's grandfather just passed away back in November. And, and I always prayed, Chris, I'll share this with you. I always prayed. I said, Lord, you know, because in the last few years of his life, my wife's grandfather had dementia, but I always prayed. I said, Lord, let him live long enough to see his great grandson graduate yeah. high school. Cause my dad yeah. passed away. My, my father-in-law passed away. So that was the only grandparent he had left. And even in his weakened state, my wife's grandfather was able to see his great grandson graduate high school. And so I, I noticed when you were talking there, you said all four, he saw all four of my kids be born. How yeah. important was that for you? The the greatest influence from a male perspective being your grandfather, what was it like for you to see him watch you become a father yourself? Man. Um, it was so important to me. It was one of the things that, you know, um, when I think about his influence, and I know I speak to my brothers uh, on this as well, is it's a tragedy that um, every person we know didn't get to know him. I mean, because he was so he was so incredible. So um, when I think about it that way, you know, he died in 2000, November two thousand seven. So my oldest was. My oldest was um, was seven years old, and then it goes seven, five, three, one. Um, but to have him at some of their little league games, Samuel's little league games, um, Hannah actually played, you know, little league, and he he was there for that. Um, to have him there, to have him experience that, and then to have them experience uh, him, you know, I guess part part of the only regret that I have is they didn't, my kids didn't see him at his best. You know, his his health had been been failing. Um, so they didn't know him as I knew him and I've tried to do, uh, I've tried to live vicariously, you know, through that by stories and, you know, just, just the, the things that he taught me, but yeah, it was so instrumental, um, and so impactful for me to be able to have him experience, um, them during those times. I've got a few more questions, man. I, they're just, there's just a few more pieces of, of conversation yeah, I want to pull out of, out of this. Yeah. Talk about the influence of your grandmother and your mother, the women in your life. Because you mentioned a minute mm. ago, you said, we wouldn't have made it without your grandparents. And of course, your, your grandfather, George, such a powerful influence. But everybody knows behind a great man, there's, there is a great woman. And, and you've had two great women in your life. And of course, your yes, wife would be in being the third. But growing up, talk about the influence of the, of, of the women, your grandmother and your mother in your life. Yeah. Well, my mother is, is honest. 
she's my hero. My, my mom, um, who is still, you know, so, so important to me, you know, I'm 45 years old. Uh, I still look to her. I still rely upon, uh, her, uh, the wisdom that she has. She's intelligent. Um, she is someone who is always willing to help other people. And, um, but when I, when I go back to the, the, the years of my childhood and, and I really begin to sort of cat, uh, catalog all the times where she just stuck her neck out for us, laid down her life. I mean, she literally, she didn't teach us the gospel in words. We didn't, we weren't, we weren't brought up in a Christian home, but I'm telling you right now, Brian, she modeled Christ-like love and Christ-like um, devotion to her children in a way that is, is to me, the perfect example uh, of what Christ was talking about. You know, when he, when he said, you know, deny yourself, lay down your life. She did that. She did that in pretty much every aspect of her life. Um, and so we're the, we're the fruit of that, you know, we're the, we're the, we're the living reward of that. And everything that we now get to do and Jay and I travel a lot, Damien, not so much, but we, we travel a lot. We have, um, you know, Jay's got a, an incredible, um, you know, influence within his, within his life and his ministry, it's, it, it comes back to my mom's account. It comes right back to her because she never stopped giving, never stopped loving, never stopped sacrificing. Wow. That, that is so powerful because, again, your mom is living through her own trauma with your yeah. dad's alcoholism, and, and yet she continues to pour herself into her boys to make sure that you guys are well. I, I want to talk about your dad. Your dad had a, a long and winding journey yeah. to get to where he was at. And again, uh, the Jason's book, Live to Forgive, tells this story beautifully. Mm -hmm. Take me to the point, you, you mentioned it a few minutes ago. Take me to the point where you reconcile with your dad and what that moment was like for you. Because as you mentioned, you were the first to reconcile with him because of your walk with the Lord and because you, you, you coming to know the Lord and him being the Lord of your life. And, 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 you know, again, I, I'll say this unashamedly as a Christian, the Bible tells us that when, when you come to God, you're a new creature. That's right. The old things are passed away and behold, all things are become new. And so here's new Chris coming to, to, to his father and you're a brand new creature. You're walking with the Lord. And now you're, you're coming face to face with having to reconcile with your dad. Take me to that moment, what it was like for you and, and how everything came together. Yeah, I, it was, um, I, I had bitterness I wasn't aware of. I had unforgiveness I wasn't aware of. I had anger issues towards him that I wasn't aware of. Um, I don't know if Jay mentioned this to you, but you know, when my dad was sober, uh, he's... He's an amazing guy. I mean, he, you talk about uh, a real smart guy. Uh, my dad was a history teacher before he lost his job due to alcoholism. Um, I became a history teacher. I majored in history in college. Um, not be like, not directly because of him. wasn't like he was inspiring me, but um, you know, his love for history obviously, you know, impacted me at some level. And that's amazing, um, Chris. So let me, we, Chris, let me interrupt you. I don't, I don't mean to do that, but let me interrupt you. That is, that is so poignant yeah. what you just said, because we were talking earlier and you said, Brian, I, I'm, I'm an Eagles fan because my dad was a Giants fan. I'm a Lakers fan yeah. because my dad was a Celtics fan. And it's amazing to me that that you ended up embracing something that your dad embraced 
when all the other parts of your life were about rejecting those things that your dad embraced. Do you find, I, I had to go there for just a minute because there, there's such irony there that, that I'm like, okay, wow, this is, you know, this is really cool that in every other part of yeah, your life, yeah, you're rejecting yeah. those common bonds. But in that you were just like, okay, it's, it's, it's a part of my DNA. It's a part of who I am. If we had more time, I could tell you more of this, more of my testimony, but I can tell you this, that before I, I, I came to know the Lord, March 29th, 1998, I was 22 years old, right on the eve of that. I was a senior in college and Brian, I was becoming my dad. I had, was engaged to my high school sweetheart. My dad married his high school sweetheart. I was being consumed by alcohol. He was an alcoholic. I was becoming a history teacher. He was a history teacher. I was literally morphing into who he was. Uh, he was a coach. Um, I, I, was, I, was, I was already at that time, I was already coaching. I was literally becoming him without even like consciously being aware of it. And then I collided headfirst with the love of God. And, um, you know, that, that comes through the gospel of Christ. And that changed so much um, of, you know, the trajectory of my life as opposed to where his life went. But the reality was, was that was the, that was, that was the point at which I began to understand, first of all, what was, what was going on inside of me and what needed now to change. And, um, you know, all glory to God for that. Well, and, and let me, let me counter. Yeah, we could go hours because the, you know, there's so many <laughs> layers and we need to have you and, and yeah. your brother on together and, and tell the story together, but be great. You know, here's the thing because of, of you coming to the Lord, your brother comes to the Lord. I, I think your younger brother is a Christian, isn't he? You're walking with the Lord. Sure. Yes, sir. Yep. And, you, and, and now, yep. now both your parents are walking with the Lord. And, and so, yep. you know, the Lord used you all the things that you were, you were morphing to be like your dad. And then the Lord just says, you know, okay, I, I'm going to, I'm going to show you what this is really going to, I'm going to show you the doors that this That's is right. really, because I'll tell you this, Chris, and I'll share this with you in the audience. I, the reason I wear contact lenses and a beard is because if I don't, I look like my dad. And I got, when, when I was growing up, I was, I got, you know, people compared me to my yeah. dad. I wanted to be my own man. And, yeah. and it was funny when my dad passed away, it was like the Lord just said, okay, all the things you're running from that, that, that you, you, your dad's traits and things like that, here you go. Boom. You know, and, and, and it's like, now I'll say something and my wife's going, oh my word, your dad, your dad has returned for a brief moment. And so I understand, yeah, yeah. I totally understand where you were going with trying to, to be that separate guy that, that, you know, I don't want to be associated with yeah. those things. So now let me ask you this. I've got two more questions, man. You've been so great with your time. Take me through the relationship yeah, with your dad now. Um, you know, Jason mentioned it, but yeah. I want to get your perspective of your relationship with your dad now, as he's now a father to you in your mid forties, a grandfather to your kids as yeah. they're young adults. Take, what's that relationship like with you and your dad today? It's so good. Um, it's so good. <laughs> you know, I, it's, I, and, I, and I smile every time someone brings it up because I have 
genuine, authentic love for my dad. And he is, um, he's one of my favorite people to talk to. When we talk, um, it doesn't usually run short of an hour. At least I have to cut it off because we talk, we talk about so much. Uh, a lot of it centers around sports. Um, a lot of it centers on my kids, but he also allows me to talk about the Lord. And, um, with him and share with him, you know, what God has been speaking to me and what God's doing in our, in, in our, in our, in our family and those kinds of things. So, but, um, the reconciliation that has taken place, which started with a decision to forgive started with that, but the reconciliation now over the process of time that has happened, um, it's one of my favorite and it's one of my best relationships that I have in my life now. Man, that's so awesome. Yeah. We've gone an hour ourselves here and, and I want to be respectful of your time. <laughs> Chris, yes, sir. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this. Share with this audience your biggest piece of intentional encouragement. Yeah. Um, Psalm 126 uh, is one of my favorite Psalms, uh, but it says that when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed again. And what I just want to encourage everyone out there is to, is to dream. And I know that in the last 12 months or so, it has caused a lot of people to stop dreaming, to stop believing, to stop being positive, to stop expecting, um, you know, good things uh, to come on the horizon. And while we've experienced a lot of tragic things, you know, we all do. None of us get out of this world unscathed. The reality is in this world, we have trouble. Um, but it is time to dream again today, not like tomorrow. Today is the time to dream again, to be inspired, to inspire, and to be a source of encouragement um, that we all need. I mean, I'm sure as the intentional encourager yourself, Brian, you know that in Ephesians 4, it says that edification is necessary. It's yeah. necessary for people because it imparts grace to those around us. And so, yeah, I think that's really what I would say uh, to the wider audience is don't stop dreaming. You know, for me, the Lord has restored all my fortunes. Um, and it, within that, he's caused me to just throw my tent pegs out as far as I can and, and live life the way he designed it to be lived. Well, and again, I'll, I'll say this for those that, that don't, that, that don't understand ministry there, there, a lot of people put preaching up here at the very mm -hmm. top and, the, and, and preaching is important and teaching is important, but a lot of times that we've forgotten in, in these times that we live in that preaching and teaching can only go so far, but encouragement goes farther. You know, people need encouragement a lot of times more than they need teaching and preaching because then when they're encouraged, their mind is really opened to preaching and teaching yeah. as you, as you well know. And so it's so good. Chris, tell folks how they can get connected with you. I know when people are here, this podcast, they're going to want to connect with you. Um, <laughs> what, what, what social media platforms are you on and, and how do they connect with you? Yeah. So I'm on, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, I'm actually, my, my brother has been uh, kind of kicking me in the behind to get more active on Twitter, so I've been doing that. Uh, my Twitter uh, handle is CJRomano21, CJRomano21. Uh, Instagram and Facebook, you can find me, uh, Christopher Romano. It's as simple as that. And um, so, yeah, um, I'm, I'm there on social media and, uh, you know, just excited about what God's doing, excited about what um, – you know, um, we're, we're, we're stepping into in, the, in this season. Really, really excited. 
my 20 year old won't let me be on Instagram. That's his platform. If I got on Instagram, it would be all over, but, uh, you know, it, that is yeah, what yeah. it is. Chris, I, I can't thank you enough, man, for taking time to join us today on the intentional encourager podcast. Um, my, all my, again, we need to, one, we need to do this again. And two, we, you know, we could have gone longer, but I so appreciate you joining me today on the intentional encourager podcast. It really has been my pleasure, Brian, uh, and I would love to be on again. And I think that combination of Jay and I coming on together probably would be a, a real treat. I'm telling you, it would it would be dynamite. Chris, I appreciate you, man. Thanks, Brian. You too. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.